Welcome to Anthropology of Girlhood, a girlhood podcast about first contact. I'm Alexa Ray Hack. I'm a comedian and storyteller, and I use she, her pronouns. My name is Micah Silvern. I'm an elementary educator, and I use they, them pronouns. Today we're talking about 1982's E.T., our one and only Steven Spielberg movie. Um, This one wasn't on the schedule originally, but it felt like... There's so many movies and properties that reference this that it felt sort of impossible to not talk about it. So I slipped it in real quick. We're gonna eventually going to have to talk about it at some point. Right. And I figured if it had to go anywhere, it should go in our Great Directors series. So Absolutely. here it is. In the event that you yourself are an extraterrestrial and you have not seen E.T., the extraterrestrial... Um, The plot is basically, um, you know, an alien is stranded on our planet. He's discovered, they're discovered by... uh, Three small children. Three small children. And despite the meddling of the government, they manage to get them back to their ship. Yeah. Uh, You can follow us on Twitter at Anthro267. Please leave a review and rate us on Apple Podcasts. And as always, thank you and enjoy. We got to talk about E.T., which is a challenge because I feel like every movie podcast on the planet has done an episode about E.T. And, like, the problem with this is twofold, right? Is like, A... Everything has kind of already been said by people who are, let's face it, more qualified to to dissect this movie. Absolutely. B, the actual childhood stuff is pretty light on the ground. It just happens to be a really good childhood movie that is a science fiction movie, which is why people like it. Yeah. And then C, the real double-edged sword here is that these episodes are the ones that people listen to the most. (laughs) I know for a fact that this E.T. episode is going to be 40 minutes long and it's going to get twice as many downloads as the movie after it. And it makes me (laughs) crazy. Not That's wrong. always how it goes. Like I look at the download numbers and it's like we will put out a subpar episode about a really popular movie and it will get a million downloads. And then we'll put out a really good like 90 minute chewy episode about an obscure movie and it will get 12 downloads. And I'm like, please don't look at the titles. Just look at the lengths. <laughs> the length will tell you how good an episode it is. I feel like there's a joke there. <laughs> so I didn't see, I didn't watch E.T. until I was an adult. Oh. I think I saw That feels it. like the wrong way to do it. <laughs> I feel like you... Hey, hey, bud. Can I say something? I think you fucked up. <laughs> I think I did, too. <laughs> Because, like, I can see why everyone loves this movie. Yeah. It's very cute, and it's very, like, interesting. And it's, like, such a important milestone and baseline for so many science fiction movies. Totally. It's, like, you can't watch this movie without 
it reminding you of every science fiction movie involving children in the last 30 years. Yeah, exactly. But God, 40 years. This movie came out 40 years ago. 1982 was 40 years ago. Time isn't real. (laughs) Uh, But like the effects scared me as a kid. Like I never like. Totally. I think a lot of people were freaked out by the alien as a kid. It freaked me out. And then it just became one of those movies where everyone was like, you have to see it. How have you not seen E.T.? Yeah. And then I'm like. And then at some point you're just like like, your inner contrarian takes over and you're like, no, I'm never going to watch it. Fuck you. It's just like I just never got around to it. Yeah. And then I finally watched it and I was like, ah, this is cute. What was the big deal? Yeah. (laughs) Which like I. And it's a little bit like a little bit too like going back and watching like The Godfather or something. Yeah. Where it's like I this is a really great influential movie, but now you've seen every element of it done exactly. Exactly the same or better since then because it inspired so many people. Right. And this kind of feels the same. Like, I couldn't watch this. I couldn't watch E.T. without just feeling like, oh, I really want to watch Stranger Things. Right? Like, this made me really want to watch, like, the first couple seasons of Stranger Things again. Yeah, I really want to watch Stranger Things or... Or Super 8. Oh, I love Super 8. Um, I mean, like... You know, like I could name a million movies that like are d- direct lifts from yeah. E.T. But like and like, don't get me wrong. I like Spielberg. I think he's a clever director and he's a clever writer and yeah. he does a lot of really good things. But I just think he's overrated. Wow. That's that's a that's a take. That's a <sighs> you. That's. Overrated. I mean, not oh, okay. Overrated is the wrong word. I, I, granted, he is maybe one of the most celebrated directors of all time. I think I've just sat through too many film classes. Yeah, that's true. And I have seen his work so many times. Yeah. Also, how did I get through film school and not watch ET? Right. That seems like a mishap on like yeah. the curriculum that I sat through. Definitely. But we can talk about that later. Oh, I had to watch The Fucking Bicycle Thief, but oh. I never watched E.T. God damn it. This is like a weird... This is a tangent, but I don't care. So many movies. So many movies. Have a scene a, with a person stealing a bicycle... Yes. Just so that the director can remind us that they went to film school and were made to watch The Bicycle Thief. It's part of your contract. It must be. As a director. Because I think if I got paid a nickel for every reference to the bicycle, every pained reference to The Bicycle Thief that I've had to watch in a major motion picture, I would never have to work a day in my life. I would just watch any movie. And it makes me crazy. Like, I took one film class and I had to watch The Bicycle Thief. I get it. It's not obscure. We all watch The Fucking Bicycle Thief. This movie is such middle child bullshit. I absolutely loved it. What do you mean by that? Because only what, a, it, what is middle child about Only this? a middle child who gets ignored all the time could hide an alien in their room and no one would notice. <laughs> Ha, ha, ha.
Wow. Because there's no way the eldest child is too busy. Too being, much pressure. Too much pressure. The baby is being watched all the time. Yeah. Only the like forgotten middle child could be like weird animal. <laughs> come live in my closet. Interesting. Yeah. I think you're not wrong, but I don't have anything else to say about it. <laughs> I don't know where that point was going. I just, <laughs> I just, I feel like, I don't know. I feel like this movie is such an ode to being a middle child. I have no experience being a middle child. Right. As the eldest, I would have killed to be the middle child, I yeah. feel like. That's like the, yeah, that's the one experience that you and I are missing, right? Yeah. You're the eldest and I'm the youngest. Yeah. And, um, yeah, neither of us is a middle, so we need a we need a middle child to come on the show and tell us about how their parents didn't notice. I mean, I'm the baby, and uh, my parents didn't notice. I'm my dad's only kid, and they don't they didn't seem to give a shit about me. <laughs> yeah, but your parents are the worst. That's accurate. That's a that's a good assessment. I, the mom really bothered me in this movie. I like. I get she's recently divorced and a single mom of three has got to be really difficult. Oh, my God. I can't imagine. But, like, she seemed very checked out. Yeah, very checked out. And, I mean, this is also, like, the sort of, like, latchkey 80s, right? Yeah. Where, like, this is kind of, I mean, kind of progressive for 1982 to have a single mom. Absolutely. But yeah, I think the the parenting style was very hands off uh, for for Gen Xers. Yeah, I like so many things. Like, how did you not notice that was not your child underneath the sheet? Yeah, ghost costume. How did you not notice the beer cans thrown all over your apartment? Your yeah, house? like, how do you let your not even 12 year old son back the car out into the driveway. How do you let your children smoke in your house? Yeah, there are children smoking in the opening scene of this movie. I mean, I would love to be able to smoke and play D&D inside. That sounds incredible. But I mean, we could smoke weed we and play smoke. D&D inside. Yeah. I mean, we do. We do. <laughs> and we do. <laughs> we can, we do. Uh, but like smoking cigarettes inside, first of all, why did crazy. we ever do it that? It seems crazy to me. I don't. Cause like cigarette smoke, you can, here's the thing. You can smoke weed in a small apartment multiple times a day, every day. And after, if, and after a couple of weeks of not doing that. It won't smell like weed anymore. No. If you light one cigarette in an indoor space one time. It smells like cigarettes. It smells like nicotine until the place burns down. <laughs> accurate. Absolutely There's only accurate. ever pre-cigarette and post-cigarette. Like it changes the chemical composition of your apartment. And like there was a haze in yeah, that kitchen. Yeah, it was foggy with cigarette smoke. And these kids have got to be like <laughs> these kids are like twelve at the oldest. Yeah, like Jesus. I want to talk about the D and D, which is sort of how this movie opens. Yeah, after we get the like ET intro, 
we meet our characters like they're playing D&D around the kitchen table. Yes. And this is the 80s. It was like the height, the peak for D&D was like the mid 80s. And I and like since E.T., a lot of shows like Stranger Things um, have taken the like D&D trope and made it like D&D is a sort of staple of childhood in some way, which speaks certainly to my childhood. Right. Um, but I don't think it's what I'm saying is it speaks to a very particular experience of childhood. Yeah. Right. The like sort of awkward. I only have four friends, but we're really close kind of childhood. Yeah. And I think it's interesting that it's become this like symbol for. I think it stands in for dramatic play in depictions of childhood and gives us a way both in film and for like human people to transition children out of dramatic play and into more structured play in a way that they still recognize. Right? Like I think... 10, 11, 12, I think, is actually kind of the perfect time to start playing, like, role-playing games. Absolutely. Because you're still doing, like, dramatic play with your friends, kind of, but you're, like, transitioning out of it, but it allows you to keep doing that, a thing that we know is really good for developing brains, while adding more like intellectual rigor and structure, I maybe have written like seven, eight, nine, twelve uh, papers on the use of board games and role playing games in like childhood development and like skill acquisition. So this is maybe a topic I have a lot of thoughts about. Um. <laughs> you? Mm, that sounds so unbelievable. Me? Thoughts about using games for early childhood skill acquisition? That doesn't seem like up my alley at all. I've always loved using games and building structure into dramatic play as a way to help kids grow and use it as like a skill chart, as a way to build skills and acquire skills. Um, I did it a lot with my second and third graders. Uh, mm-hmm. We did a lot of like, we never got around to actually playing any board games or like doing anything because there was a lot of behavioral things that got in the way, but that's fine. But we did a lot of like pre game, like session zero stuff to like yeah. world build and stuff. And they really totally. liked that. And that was always like a good way to like, it's always a good thing like board games and world building are such good ways to teach cooperation and mm. teamwork and all of that. And like it teaches, you can teach like improv that way too, right? Absolutely. It teaches like, yes. And like, don't think twice, like, you know, go with the, go with the narrative. Like all of that is like good improv skills. Yeah. Which kids need. And it helps humans need humans need. I mean, maybe I'm biased as a comedy person, but like, I think that the skill that improv teaches you or that like any kind of like, you know, collaborative storytelling, comedy, any of that stuff, like yeah. 
that's having that skill, having access to your brain unfiltered is really useful. And I think that's a thing that improv gets you good at is being able to like access your brain straight from the tap without, you know, having like the, the doubt that is so often like clouds. Yeah. So much of adult life. Yeah, I think, and if you can start training that with kids and working with kids at, like, especially, like, 10, 11, 12, where that doubt starts to set in and social pressures start to set in, I think it's such a good way to, like, help fight that. Because, like, yeah, my kids are 9 and 10, and they are already, like, starting to, like, face the, like, self-doubt and the frustration and, like given a lot of my kids also like don't have that filter because of their autism and not because of how their brains work. Right. So like it's really fun to like see them still so un Yeah. Like still so untapped and still like Totally. Especially with how a lot of my kids are super creative and super yeah. art focused. Yeah. And like their artwork is super cool and like all of all of that and the way their brains work for some of my other kids who are more socially aware, like being able to see, like I've been able to see the shift that like the pressures of being older and trying to fit in even within these first few months. And I feel like if I had the ability and to be able to find a way to structurally like teach them all of that's like yeah. all the improv stuff and like how to turn that off, it would be very helpful but I don't think it's possible in my classroom. Yeah. Your classroom is like very particularly organized and yeah. Meeting everyone's needs would be challenging. Work time is, there's a reason there's four people. There's, we have five staff in my classroom of seven. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot. (laughs) It's a lot. I would, I think my kids would love D and D. I think like give this class two more years and they would like totally totally kill D and D. But it would be weird. It, it would, would be, be so weird. weird Honestly, and I would be so for it. I love playing D&D with kids, neurodivergent or otherwise, like because they have such weird ideas and they haven't learned a lot of that self-doubt yet. They have such unique like solutions to everything. Yeah, every single problem. You'll approach it and you'll be like, it's a box canyon with a fucking troll at the end. And there you just, you know, obviously they're going to fight the troll. And it's like, no, we want to braid its hair. And it's like, all right, man. Sure, man, whatever. Like the troll is your friend now. Like, I don't, you know, it's like kids will come up with the weirdest stuff and it keeps you on your toes as like a game master that you have to be like, okay, we're doing this now. You have to be prepared to do anything when you're running for kids. I also feel like, especially for masculine kids, D and D and RPGs give them that go ahead to continue with dramatic play in a way that femme kids don't necessarily feel the pressure for. Totally. Like, cause like, when I was working with my second and third graders, like they're still at the, like dramatic play is still pretty popular at that age, mm-hmm. but like there was a clear cut off, cut off 
and a clear divide between my masculine kids and my feminine kids where my feminine kids were like still head over heels in dramatic play and like every recess was a new game and like they had their set games and they like had their worlds that they had built where my masculine kids were like definitely more like sports interesting and like they didn't like scoff at dramatic play and like weren't like making fun of the the girls for right. doing it they yet. just wasn't what it interested just, like, them wasn't into them interesting i'd never thought that that would be something that would be gendered but of course i grew up with a mass in a masculine yeah. like childhood so it i didn't think it was weird that we mostly stopped doing dramatic play around like 10 or you know 9 10 11 yeah i like i also find that's like when a lot of my femme students start to get really into reading interesting when dramatic play starts to like drop off is when like people tend to get really into not necessarily just reading but into media in general and like that like escapism part of it yeah it's a new type of escapism right more like adult appropriate type of escapism yeah and as they find like these more quote-unquote age-appropriate escapism it becomes less cooperative yeah, like, becomes more individual or competitive. Exactly. Video games, books, TV, movies, sports. sports. You know, where dramatic play and board games have always been cooperative and team building. And I think it's really interesting that. That is really interesting. We don't push that more. Yeah, it's interesting that we don't have more collaborative type work in like school and childhood in general no you know because like even sports i think sports are super important and i think sports could be doing the same thing that board games do of like teaching cooperation and teamwork and all that good thing but i think a lot of sports especially as you get older and especially if you want to quote unquote you know like be good at it it gets so competitive so quickly yeah, and it turns into work and it doesn't hurt. Isn't right. there for fun, which is like what you should be doing. Totally. And yeah. So I think we need more outlets for kids to a, just have fun for and sure. Just enjoy themselves and be, learn how to do it with other kids. That is my thesis. <laughs> Let kids be kids with other kids. Yeah. Let's shift and talk about, how upsetting this fucking alien is. I thought as I got older, it would be less upsetting and it has just gotten more upsetting. Yeah. Like it is a brilliant piece of prop work. No, it's, it's great. It's It's amazing. And it's not a puppet. It's like six different puppets. Yeah. No, the prop work and like the creation of it is absolutely incredible. And like one of the coolest effects I have ever seen. Yeah. That being said, it's a creepy alien. Totally. Totally. And it's it's so it's such so masterfully done that this alien design is simultaneously very cute and also incredibly upsetting. Yes, it's such a good alien design. Because I both want to go Oh, look at it and never touch it. And also, ah, look <laughs> at it. <laughs> it's 
does weird thing. It does what? And also the like, yeah, the weird head extending thing. The fact that it looks kind of like an uncircumcised penis. (laughs) Kind of? It looks like one. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it's all like foldy and wrinkly. Oh my God. Not great. But then, like, the little feet, the weird the, little feet. I love the weird little feet. I love the glowing fingers. I think, though, like, his hands are so fucking weird. And it's weird little, like, squat body. Yeah. I like the waddle. I love the waddle. The... I hate the sound. I love the waddle. A sound that we learned through the IMDb trivia was made by... Putting Jello in a wet T-shirt and squishing it around in front of a microphone. So try and brain bleach the idea of a wet T-shirt filled with Jello out of your brain, because we haven't been able to. It's been haunting me in my sleep. Yeah, I now it has to haunt our listeners. <laughs> Glad we're not the only ones who have to suffer. I'm also like trying not to gender ET because. They do assign it, assign them like he, him pronouns, but it seems really reductive to gender an alien knowing nothing about their species and their genders. It's like, how do you know they have two binary genders? Like, how do you know that they reproduce sexually like we do? Like, how do you know any of this? You don't. You're just projecting your like human white american male ideas onto this being you know anyway the only time et has clothes on they're femme yes like the only things et wears are like a dress and a ghost outfit so maybe we don't under the weird alien creature made out of jello yeah i just don't think it seems appropriate like it <laughs> It'd be a different thing if we saw E.T.'s big old swinging dong, but we don't. This is a kid's movie. We have no reason to believe that this thing is male. That would that would be a very different film. A di- very different splatting noise as he walked around. I'm sorry. I quit. I quit the show. I'm sure it exists out there somewhere. <laughs> I want so desperately to never know, never experience... Um, an ET porn parody. I never want. I want that not to be real. I know that it is. I know that Rule Thirty Four is exists, and that there must be ET porn. But I don't want that to be true. Do you think? No. The answer is yes. There is also definitely. 100% on AO3 right now, there is ET slash fic. Oh, I'm going to find it. <laughs> I'm going to find it and make you suffer through it with me. No! The things he can do with those glowing fingers, man. Okay, okay. Now I quit the show. Now I'm done. Look, as someone who spent a lot of time on AO3, <laughs> I'm sure it's out there. I'm sure. AO3 is expansive. His... They, if you have a kink, it's on. <laughs> Somebody wrote about it. <sighs> AO3. If you have if always you have thought, thought about it that two fashion. characters in some property should get together, they have, and it's on AO3. Oh, 
the amount of like if you ever thought about like anything any two characters from totally different properties yeah yeah spock and miss frizzle or whatever those are just like the two most disparate i feel like any example of slash fic has to include spock because of slash fic spock is as a pop culture reference yeah yes Spock and Miss Frizzle. I want to brain bleach that out of my brain now too. God damn it! I'm, I might have. I probably I missed something. I do understand that I missed something while watching this movie mm-hmm. because it took me doing things to be able to watch this movie, and so like I definitely like missed parts of it. Um, but the kid and the alien are like magically mentally connected to each mm-hmm. other. It's never well explained. I sat down and fully watched this movie and have fully watched this movie many times. And it I I also always miss it. Cuz like I never it never like it all I mean I'm sure like it's supposed to but like it always clicks when they're dissecting the frogs. Right. And Elliot's getting drunk yeah. because ET is drinking yeah. at home. Yeah. Which one these kids are too young to be dissecting anything. We will come back to the dissecting frogs because I have capital T thoughts. Yeah, that whole that whole scene, really. But, like, anyway, was the whole, like, could we not teach empathy without, like, is there a possibility to teach empathy without, like, forcibly connecting your brain to somebody else? Right, yeah. Like, can we just be like, uh, another thing exists and it's different from me? Maybe I can just care about it. Right. And I think I think the trouble is not in teaching empathy. It's in teaching young men empathy. Yeah. Right? Like, I think if Elliot is a girl, I think you wouldn't even you wouldn't need the like magical connection to get them to care about E.T. No. Definitely not. But he's not. And therefore, we need the magical connection. Yeah, and like I think that is a, you know, an issue that we have to deal with as a culture that it is so challenging for our young men and boys to understand empathy and being able to, you know, project themselves into other people's, like, thoughts and feelings like a fairly basic concept for living in a society, but one that we have apparently missed like large chunks of our populace with care about people care about people. They're people. You should care about them. Yeah. And it doesn't lose you anything to care about other people. Like it doesn't mean that it's not like, Success, you know, is not a zero-sum game. Like, compassion is not a zero-sum game. Like, feeling compassion and empathy for someone else does not diminish you in any way. So why not, right? That's always been my stance is, like, until you give me a reason not to feel compassion and empathy towards you, I'm just going to extend it to every person that I encounter. Because why not? I don't lose anything. No. Like, 
until you hurt my feelings and then get fucked. But then, like, you proved yourself not to be deserving of my empathy because you obviously are not. It's just like if we all just went about our lives that way. The world would be so much better. The world would be so much kinder and gentler. Yet somehow I feel like we can blame capitalism for all of this. You know what? It is sort of the central capitalist, like, individualism lie of, like, you know, get yours, fuck everybody else, like, gotta look out for number one, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Fuck capitalism. And, yeah, maybe it's a thing that, like, young masculine folks are hit with that capitalist message a little stronger where it's acceptable for, you know, femme people and girls to focus on community building and community support. No, absolutely. It's definitely, there's definitely a very big gender divide, which I think there is still this thought process that femmes and women are not fully human, therefore cannot fully participate in capitalism, therefore their work is less important. Right. And their work, their input is less important. Yeah. So they are ignored and are pushed aside so that they, which like, so they have the benefit of being able to push past the capitalist programming a bit more mm-hmm. because of that and right. have learned to lean on each other to survive that, mm-hmm. which also then is the double-edged sword of being like, well, if that's women's bullshit and we don't actually have to pay attention to it. Right. But yeah, it it's really... it. My kids are nine and ten. My whole class is boys. Like, I don't have... My whole class is boys, um, at least as far as they've told me so far. And the bullshit I'm already having to have them start to deprogram mm-hmm. is ridiculous. Yeah, at, at nine and ten. At nine and ten. Given my kids are also slightly more traumatized than your average classroom sure because of who they are and they're right. like and just because of the experience of my kids so like their coping mechanisms and the way that they see the world is in such an interesting light totally and it's really terrifying to sit in a classroom full of my kids aren't great. Don't really. We have never really talked about gender in my class, so I, these are all assumptions. But my kid, I sit in a classroom full of cis straight guys, mm-hmm. and see all of the bullshit that they're already getting fed, and it's heartbreaking mm-hmm. because, like, they're nine. <laughs> my right. kids aren't even double digits yet. Yeah, you don't think about how early. The gender programming starts. And, like, I have kids who refuse to touch pink scissors because they're girls' colors. How strange. And, like, I have kids who, like, respectfully question everything about me because they're, like, 
They're curious kids. They're curious kids, and they've never been given any other option. Right, and they probably never have met another non-binary person. No, and, you know, like, (laughs) he's one of my favorite kids now, so I totally forgive him for this, but my first student that I met, it was during open house, first kid who walks in, just looks at me, I introduce myself, and he just goes, you sound like a girl, (laughs) but you... But you look like a boy. And what is your conclusion? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I think my answer was, yeah, Uh that, that that sounds about right. And like, we're super, like he took a little bit while to get my pronouns, but he like, he started to correct people on my pronouns now and I love him and I adore him and I'm so glad he's in my class. Yeah. But I get that exact same response from kids about that same age all the time, which is just like, why do you sound like a boy? It's like, well, I don't sound like a boy. I have a deep voice, but lots of women have deep voices. Yeah, I my kids like boxes because mm-hmm. they're autistic. Because they're autistic. <laughs> so we get a lot of, is that a boy or a girl? Is that a boy or a girl? Is that a boy or a girl? Because they just need to know they what just need to know. category to sort right. it into. And so like, <laughs> so it's always fun being like, what if they're not? And they right. there you go. Excuse excuse me. Right. Ex- no. No. That does not compute. Does not compute. Let's talk about this animal dissection. Yes. Because this comes up in movies a lot and it feels like definitely Elliot is way too young. Oh, absolutely way too young. Did you dissect anything in schools? I did in like my high school biology class. Um but also, I took high school biology at a Catholic school. Wait, they teach biology at a Catholic school? Well, they have to. Well, I guess they don't have to. But I was going to say, yeah, the um, the Catholic school cur- biology curriculum. Yeah, that sounds like sketch as fuck. Is, I think sketch as fuck is sort of the descriptor because... You can't talk about evolution. No, of course not. It doesn't exist. So basically... Biology doesn't exist. Yeah, so basically uh, the whole unit was like animal and plant ID. That was basically the, the entire year was just learning animal and plant ID and learning to use like the, the trees, the ID trees. Oh, fuck. There's a term for there's like this plant and animal ID tool and it's basically just like a big complicated flow chart and it just says like does the thing have like does it look like this yeah, and yeah, the, yeah. I can't remember what they're called but it was that was the final it was just like ID these six animals with you know kingdom phylum family class order genus species or whatever that's probably the wrong Look, it was a Catholic Kingdom biology Phylum, school. Order, I, whatever. It was, it, it was, you know, again, Catholic school biology. You don't need to know the shit. Kingdom phylum order family genus species. I got it. There you go. I had to dissect a cow eyeball. Yeah, the dissection. I totally didn't get to that. <laughs> so mostly we dissected like invertebrates, flatworms, and crustaceans and stuff. I had to dissect a cow eyeball. I was in middle school. Yeah, cow eyeball seems better, I guess. It was disgusting. It was juicy. Yeah, they're filled with fluid. 
yeah. That's real gross. Yeah, and I bet. I, I was not pleasant. And I, it was, it was not pleasant. I think the cow eyeball is a popular one. I think they did the cow eyeball at my public school. I too. think it's replaced the fetal pig. Yeah. Cause it's less gross. My question is like, what does dissecting an animal teach you that looking at a chart of a dissected animal doesn't? Cruelty. Right? Also, they had to kill their frogs. Yeah, that part is fucked up. That when part I is so fucked up. When I did it, it was like preserved specimens that had been like preserved in formaldehyde. Yeah. I didn't go slaughter a cow and pluck its eye out. Yeah, no, we weren't gassing crawfish to cut them open. That's so fucked up. These kids, they make them like kill the frogs. These kids are like what third, fourth grade. Here's your Zyklon B, kids. Go commit a genocide. <laughs> Fuck, dude. This- I'm nine. <laughs> These like. Elliot did the right thing. I would have done this. I would have definitely been like, no, fuck you. We're not killing all these frogs. No, we're not killing all these fucking innocent frogs. And also, like, even if you did have to dissect an animal, couldn't you just have one person do it? Yeah. And everybody watch? Right. So that only one frog had to die instead of 30 frogs? Yeah. Or, like, hell, have we, like... Can we just start doing like silicone ones that you can reuse over and over yeah, again? Yeah, hey, I know a bitch who works at uh, uh, a silicone um, body farm. Body farm. Uh, I bet that is some shit that we can make a bunch of money on. But like, it seems like in the 21st century, like there should just be, and I'm sure, I'm sure there are now, uh, just like a computer program, you right. know, a surgery simulator that does this. Right. There. What? Remember there being games about like doing knee surgery as But that takes away the cruelty part. Yeah. Which I think you're I think you're right is a big part of it, unfortunately. Why why? Why? Like it's one I thing I wanna s I don't know why, but I wanna say capitalism. Eh, yeah, that checks out. <laughs> I can't I can't really put my finger on it but uh, in general capitalism i default to it's probably capitalism's fault probably because like in what other contexts like the whole idea of here have a dead thing now cut it open yeah weird very weird super weird like you trust 90 year olds with knives like (laughs) you have a Bunch of kids with sharp objects. Yeah, somebody's gonna get hurt. Some, there should be a nurse in that room on call. Like I, I work. I use scalpels for work all the time, right? Um, and I have been using like I'm from a kitchen background. I'm very good with a knife, um, and I cut myself probably once a week. <laughs> and I'm 32. Nine-year-olds will stab a bitch. <laughs> You're right. Not even on purpose. Just because, nope. like, their fucking muscles aren't developed all the way. No. Nine-year-olds can't tie shoes. <laughs> <laughs> you trust them with this t- something that can stab you? I mean, you are asking for trouble. Yeah. But, yeah, that whole... Also, the unnecessary kiss 
was in that scene really pissed yeah. me off. Although I did find it really funny that he stepped on a kid to be able to be the same height as her. Yeah. <laughs> that was really cute. But like, yeah, children kissing at that age weird me out. Yeah, it's weird. It's one of those things where we've talked about this before, I think, on the Moonrise Kingdom episode about how like I want children to be able to explore like intimacy in this way and also it makes me very uncomfortable as an adult (laughs) yeah and i think that's like that's my thing like that's my deal as an as the like adult in the situation yeah but it's still weird yeah and it's weird when i see it in movies and it makes me feel uncomfortable one of the big themes you know this is a coming of age story right um and I, i think it's about you know, learning compassion and learning to protect the ones that you, the people that you care about. But I think also like hugely this movie is about grief and loss. Yeah. In a way that like we almost never get in a movie that is like for and about children. True. And we so seldom get to deal with childhood grief. Because I think as adults, we like to pretend that like childhood sexuality, like it's just a thing that's not happening because it makes us uncomfortable. And that is not true. It's not true and it's not helpful. No. But like this movie, you know, E.T. dies. Yeah. Right. Pretty traumatically. Pretty, pretty traumatically. And it sucks. And Elliot is sobbing. Yeah. You know, he's like unconsolable because, you know, when you're that age and you feel everything so deeply. Oh, everything is so big. And when you care about someone and they become a part of your life, you know, magical, weird, glowing finger connection or not, like to have to have to readjust your frame of the world to a world in which this person doesn't exist. Mm-hmm is really hard. It is. And I think there's also this underlying B story of this movie that really helps solidify that this is a movie about grief, about their dad leaving and Mm -hmm. their mom being like, they're being newly like without their father. Mm -hmm. Cause like the mom is still obviously grieving the loss of her husband. And I didn't even think about that. They have the conversation of like, you know, what you used to do with dad and Mm -hmm. like, you know, having this new hole in your life and adjusting to that and then having this weird alien creature come and kind of accentuate that hole and that whole process of grief in a much more tangible way than Mm -hmm. like, because to a child, death is a little bit i feel like death is a little bit more understandable than divorce is right because like divorce me is messy and complicated where death is pretty binary right right exactly and it's not binary right like divorce means a lot of different things to a lot of different families whereas like yeah death is like final and permanent 
And you're right, I'd never thought about it that way that, you know, dealing with the loss of E.T. And, I mean, obviously, you know, he comes back and they save him and they get him back to his thing or whatever. But, like, dealing with the loss of E.T. makes these kids more equipped to deal with the loss of their dad. Absolutely. And, you know, with all future losses, right? Like, once you have... I think grief and loss is one of those things that you that changes you. Yeah. I think it it changes the way you look at the world. It changes the way you move through the world. I think when you're a small child, death is a little bit abstract. Yeah. Where you know, maybe divorce is a little more real, yeah. or a little more present in your life. Where when you're a child, you sort of know intellectually that things and people die. But, but it hasn't, you haven't been around long enough right. to have to encounter it. And then I, I distinctly remember the first time that I had a family member die. And I remember having all these thoughts of like, the world is just never going to be the same. Yeah. I'm always now thinking every time I interact with a person, and maybe this is like my depression or whatever, but like I'm thinking I could be at this person's funeral. Yeah. Right? Like I might have to learn to live in a world that this person isn't in anymore. Yeah. I was about Elliot's age when I lost my grandfather, and it was earth-shattering. And I remember no one really talked to me about how to feel Mm -hmm. and how to process what I was feeling. Yeah. And I, like, and I think especially with looking back at it now with, the lens of my mental health and my neurodivergence. Uh-huh. The like switch that flips of like suddenly they're not in your life anymore and then they're just like not in your life anymore. Mm-hmm. And you know that like ADHD autism of like if it's not there, it just doesn't it's exist. It doesn't exist. And like having these moments of like being perfectly like feeling normal and like having like looking around and being like, why is everyone so sad? Mm-hmm. And then having it hit again. Right. And it being so fresh because my brain just doesn't process it in the same time that people do. Right. And like, so I was in, I was about in second grade when my grandfather passed and I remember getting this huge wave of, depression and like emotions about it two years later around the same time. Mm -hmm. Um, and like it, he died around Thanksgiving. So like every year around Thanksgiving, it'll be like some years it's easier. And some years it's like, Mm -hmm. I'm seven again and my whole world is falling apart. Yeah. And I wrote a lot of bad poetry when I was about it, when I was in fifth grade, I remember that. Wow. Cause that amazing. Right. Cause why not? But yeah, I just remember no one talking to me about 
how to process it. Yeah, I think this I, the same thing happened when my great grandparents died, and I think there's this idea that children are resilient. Yeah, and therefore they don't need to have stuff like that explained to them. I, there's also the concept that like children don't remember. Right. Which is not true. Isn't the case. The fact that you don't remember your childhood is probably because of trauma and not because right. you don't remember. <laughs> well, and all the lead in the air, probably. Oh, yeah, definitely all the lead in the air. <laughs> and this also is like there's sort of this distinct, um, you know, the grief of losing someone is a universal for all ages, but the grief of losing a friend when you're a child, not because they died, but in but general. just because people change. Yeah. Friends move apart. And especially when you're young, the people that you're, and you're not really like a fully formed right. personality yet. As you form more personality, you will grow and apart from your friends. And, and that, that loss of a person who is still alive can be even harder and it is such a distinctly childhood experience because like as an adult your friends grow apart but it's like it's not the same because you never have the same like deep intense intimate connections as you had when you were a kid and you shared everything yeah because we don't let people in like we do in our kids yeah and yeah, no, losing, I think like, I think the second half of the ending after E.T. like is alive and leaving is like such a good talking point about that of like, you have these intense emotional connections with people and then suddenly they're just gone. Yeah. And it sucks. And... I know we've said this on the podcast before and it is something that I will continue to talk about, but like friend breakups and like losing friendships versus losing romantic relationships. I feel like losing friendship is so much harder Mm -hmm. and maybe it's just because we don't talk about it and we don't grieve it in the same way that we, I think that's part of it. We do romantic relationships, but like, the stakes are different in friendship when, than they are in romantic relationships. Mm-hmm. At least in my experience, there's less pressure to be... I think this says a lot about how I handle relationships, but whatever. There's less pressure to be someone else in friendships than there is in romantic relationships. Interesting. Like you're you're more allowed to be yourself. Like you don't have to hide yourself in the beginning. Right. Like you're more you're allowed to be more open about who you are and hide your hard edges mm-hmm. a lot less than you do with romantic relationships. Mm-hmm. And the acceptance of that person and that whole being is so much more like the unconditional love of it is so strong and Mm -hmm. like so important to your soul in a way Mm -hmm. that like when that connection is destroyed, when that connection breaks, it feels so much worse. I think because 
like there what it feels like there's more at stake mm-hmm. and there's more of you on the line than there is in romantic relationships. Yeah. And especially as a child, your whole identity is your friendships. Totally. Yeah, your friend group really encompasses your whole self-conception. And so when that breaks or when that disappears for whatever reason, it is absolutely world-shattering. truly changes the way you perceive yourself. Exactly. And perceive, like, the world around you. Exactly. Do you want to do a lightning round? Let's do a lightning round. My very first note about this movie is, oh, look, Northern California. (laughs) (laughs) There's redwoods everywhere. Oh, I miss the redwoods. I know. Me too. I love those big old trees. I like that you can tell where you are in California based on the type of tree, right? Yeah. There's, like, an actual line between, like, Palm Tree, California, and Redwood Tree, California. <laughs> yup. There is. And it's lovely. Because, like, I don't care that much for Palm Tree, California. No, fuck Palm Tree, I California. I love Redwood, California. Redwood, California is the best. These kids order two pizzas for a group of, like, six kids. Yeah, that is not enough. That is not enough pizza. No. Even, like, a big pizza. That is not enough that pizza. That is not enough pizza. It no one is gonna everyone's gonna everyone's hungry. gonna be hungry and they're all gonna be miserable. At one point early in the movie, oh, when Elliot first discovers ET in like the, in the backyard, yeah, he's wearing socks in the yard with no shoes on. With no shoes, drove me insane. Crazy. Look, I am like an adamant anti-sock person. I hate wearing socks. Currently not wearing socks. If I could not wear socks at any point ever, I would do that. But I understand that in an outdoor context, socks generally necessary. Socks without shoes, though? Socks without shoes is fucking savage. You will never, ever catch me in socks without shoes, much less socks outside. Are you out of your mind? I forgot to put my... Wet socks are the worst the worst sensory feeling in the entire universe the one thing i hate about backpacking putting on wet socks in the morning oh, and slipping your feet into your cold boots Ugh. with your wet socks it was the my it was a sensory nightmare but you have to cuz you cannot pack all the clean socks you want no you do not have the space and you can't get a fire going every night to dry your socks. No. This family dynamic is so strange. And, like, mostly it's, like, mom's checked out. And so, like, the kids are watching over each other, kind mm-hmm. of. Which feels very accurate to the, like, late Gen Z, yep. early millennial childhood experience. Yeah. Um, But it's just so baffling. Like, the thing, I don't. I don't know. It's very strange. It weirds me out. But, ba- also, but also, the cl- the walk-in closet that these kids have I in want the, like, the closet of their bedroom is amazing. It's huge. It's like a whole extra bedroom attached to their bedroom. You could have a fourth kid live in there. It's huge. I mean, you kind of do with E.T. But... Right. Yeah. Um. But yeah, Drew Barrymore has got to be what, like, Three in this movie? Three or four? Something. These nine and 12-year-olds should not be raising a three-year-old. 
I think, yeah. Yeah. She's left in her, their care way too much. Like all the time. And it's just like, you should be able to also, take care of this small child. The mom goes and picks up her kid from when the mom goes and picks up Elliot from being drunk. She leaves Drew Barrymore alone at home. Yeah, that's okay. Leave your four-year-old alone at home. I'm sure she'll be fine. You don't own any knives or anything, right? Has anyone ever heard of CPS? Yeah, crazy. Absolutely insane. Like, it's kind of no wonder that so many kids who were raised in houses like this swung so hard the other way to monitoring their kids every second of the day because so many of our parents kind of just like set us loose in the house with like 20 bucks to order a pizza and said so long and like i'll see you eventually we'll see you maybe (laughs) maybe tonight probably tomorrow yeah like, yeah, no wonder a bunch of us turned into helicopter parents. Yeah, no, it makes sense. It, it makes sense. Yeah. Okay, I there's a there's a scene where they get on a bus. I don't know. I don't know the context. I just have it in my notes about the bus. I have. I used to ride the bus from Third and Pike in Seattle. Yes. Third and Pike famously. The worst corner in Seattle. Yes. Um, maybe one of the worst corners anywhere. That's <laughs> not great. It's pretty bad. Um, and I have never ridden a bus that was half as chaotic as every bus in every movie. Right. Like, I get that it's like some car culture elitism that like, oh, obviously buses are like total dens of depravity, you know, hives of scum and villainy, but, like, it's just people getting to work. Like, it's not the Wild West. It's not the Warriors. It's not fucking West Side Story. Like, it's just commuters who don't have cars or don't want to drive. No one is talking to each other. Everyone is minding their own business. Yeah. Everyone just wants to get to work. Right. So strange. As someone who is just on a bus. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, the world outside might be chaotic, but the bus itself is pretty calm. Yeah. I love the flowers that E.T. brings back to life. I love that they're like a whole little symbol for him being alive. I yeah. think it's so fucking cute. They're like his little health bar. Yeah. <laughs> and it's so cute. They're hideous flowers, but I love them. Yeah. Aren't they marigolds or something? Yeah, they're like marigolds or fake daisies or something. This movie in general is like a little bit outside of our usual fare. Yeah. Like we don't watch a lot of like sci-fi movies on this show. But it's so interesting that this like a science fiction movie captures the like magic and wonder of childhood in a way that like almost is almost unparalleled yeah among the other movies we've watched it does it so well the feeling of like oh your feelings are big and everything is like scary and also wondrous and like you can kind of do anything but you can't really do anything and yeah that 
that feeling is like really, really well portrayed in this movie. Yeah, this movie absolutely screams childhood. <laughs>